Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So in this series, uh, we are uh, we are in this for a few more weeks, okay? So I just want to give you the heads up, man, that we're going to dive into some spiritual things, some demonic things. And uh, when you begin to talk about demonic stuff, people kind of get weirded out. And it's, it, it, all right, I'm not talking down to you. I'm literally presenting factual information. A lot of people begin to get weirded out by uh, if you talk about demons. But if God is real and angels are real, then Satan is real and demons, which are just fallen angels, are real. Isn't it amazing how people have a problem when you begin to talk or teach upon those things? Yet they will watch movies about demons and people being possessed and their head spinning around, which is literally anatomically impossible. Uh, but they'll, they'll look at all of that stuff and they'll allow those things to be, you know, like entertainment. But the, when it comes to the real deal, when the real deal hits it, they, they won't want to talk about that. But I'm telling you, there is an unforeseen realm. We can't see it. It's out there. It's an unseen realm. And so we know that the scripture says that the battles that we really are fighting are in that realm. And that's why so many Christians, like Betty, when you uh, touched base with me a couple of weeks ago, she was fighting a battle. It looked like it was in the natural realm, but it's really in the supernatural realm. And when you don't know how to fight those battles, what you do, you try to fight it in the natural and it gets funky, nasty, ugly when you really need to be fighting that in the spiritual. The joy of the Lord is my strength, not your Facebook posts. The joy of the Lord is my strength, not your uh, passive aggressive, uh, you know, statements to your coworkers or families or whomever. It's the joy of the, like when you begin to fight from that place, man, I'm telling you that life is easier. Several years ago in the history of our church, uh, I went through a, a, a really traumatic experience, as well many of you did, uh, because you were members here. And I'm telling you, man, I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. And recently, we had another uh, situation that kind of popped up, and it's like I had people checking on me going, you know, are, are you okay, Pastor Rife? Are you okay? And I'm like, dude, I am at such a peace. I am at such peace. It's just a, you know peace that passes understanding. It transcends understanding. Why? Because that tribulation worketh patience in me. That, that other situation, I learned from it. And so let's dive in. Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to go to today. So if you'll dive in, and I'll give you a little bit of context on that later because we're only going to read um, a few verses there, about seven verses. So in Matthew chapter 12, we'll get there in just a second. So yesterday, 
my lovely wife sends uh, me and Pastor Caitlin and Pastor Wesley an article. And the article was in the Atlantic uh, Journal. And the title of it was The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. So I'm going to say it to you again. So the article in the Atlantic, you can go pull it up yourself if you want. It was the misunderstood reason why millions of Americans stopped going to church. I have people all the time that they will come to me just like, are you okay, Pastor Rife? How are you? You know, I come to, man, Pastor Rife, you know, they're trying to encourage me because they're like, Pastor Rife, you know, um, don't, don't be downcast about attendance. And I'm like, man, I, if I was downcast about attendance, I, I, I'd, I'd be in a perpetual state of depression. <laughs> like we are half the size. We are half the size of what we were before COVID. Right. Now, you understand that you're not even, you're not even, you're a part of the half. You understand that, right? Sunday last week, I counted 40 people that were not at church. Because that's what a shepherd does. He counts people. He counts people. 40 people, dude. That is a lot of people that are not at church. And that is almost an every Sunday thing. It's like when you come back next week, it'll be a different group of people. There will be about 20 to 30% of you that are the same, but it will be a different group of people next week. We were off at a conference this, uh, this last week. Is that right? Week before. And uh, the four of us on staff, we went to this uh, conference for pastors. And so we were at Harley's church. For those of you who don't know Harley, he's, our, uh, he's one of our former worship leaders. Uh, hence why I'm on the stage uh, a lot of Sundays leading worship because, uh, but he's been away now for what, three years, something like that, four years, I lose track. But so, uh, so at Gateway Church, we were, we were doing a round table and we were just talking pastoral things and the subject of COVID came up. And uh, at the beginning of COVID, their church was running 1,400 people. So, um, man, it's just amazing, 1,400 people. COVID hits. As with the mandates of the state, including us, we stopped for, you know, I don't know, two months, something like that, waiting on the government to get their act together. And then we just decided, because they kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And we just decided we're starting back on this date, regardless of whatever. They may cart us off and arrest us, but we're starting back. And I felt different in my spirit and heart than they felt. Um, man, these pastors were talking about, dude, we were so pumped. And I'm like, that's because y'all are young and I got a little age on me. Even though Pastor Wesley did tell me this morning that my dress made me look younger today. I don't know what that fully means. But, uh, Pauls, I'm coming back to the church and, and that I was at. But, Pauls, like, you know, I'm at that age where I really do start thinking, like, do I need to start dressing older? 
You know, what do I need to do? Like, I don't want to be one of those 80-year-old men that, you know, is dressing like they're 25, you know. But you know what? I, I'm going to dress like I want to dress. And, and, and that's just how it's going to be. I ain't trying to be nobody. I'm just trying to be me. All right. So go back. Those young guys, they're like, you know, sometimes they have so much energy. They're like toddlers, you know. And I don't mean that condescendingly, but they've got so much energy, and they're like, dude, we were so pumped. It's like, man, we're pulling out extra chairs. There's not going to be enough chairs. There's going to be so much. Revival is in the land, and man, they put out extra chairs. See, over here, I got a few years on me, and I got about 30 years of ministry full-time, and I'm like, man, I don't know who's going to show up. But whoever shows up, we're going to get it on. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. I'm just telling you, if y'all don't worship, I'm going to worship my heart out. I'm just going to worship. I'm going to study. I'm going to get into the word. I'm going to live the word. When we get to the end of the applications, I've talked to people and they're like, yeah, well, we don't really do those. And I'm like, why would you even tell me that? I'm your pastor, you know? But, uh, but, I do those things. My wife does those things. Like she follows the applications that we have week to week. And I love you for that. Um, But going back to these pastors, they said COVID, you know, uh, well, it doesn't end. But the time away from the church is getting ready to come back. And they said, man, they showed up. They are pumped. Everybody is pumped. And they're like, man, we got 1,400 people plus whatever's going to come. And... Harley's pastor said, and 300 people showed up. 300 people showed up. Now, I'm still talking about the article, the misunderstood reasons millions of Americans stopped going to church. He said they were devastated. They were devastated. Meanwhile, back at Destiny Church, I wasn't devastated. I was just like, God, I don't know what's going on. But I wasn't devastated. Because I'm like, we are coming and we are going to just worship the Lord. We're going to do what the church does. We're going to keep worshiping. We're going to keep giving. We're going to keep studying. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep doing what we are called to do as the church. And these guys were devastated. As a matter of fact, Harley's pastor was saying, he's like, man, I don't know where they went. He's like, 1,100 people, they never came back. And they live in a small town. And it's isolated. It's not like you can go 10 minutes to Fairhope and, you know, five minutes to Spanish Fort. They're isolated. And he's like, dude, you would see them in Walmart or, you know, at the Texaco or Lowe's. He's like, you don't even run into these people anymore. He's like, it's like the rapture happened. He's like, but I know it didn't happen because I'm still here. But these people just disappeared off the planet. Why have people stopped coming to church? And this article, it talks about because America, the United States, has adopted a way of life that is not conducive to spiritual growth. This whole article talks about how we've adopted a work ethic that is all about me getting the most out of it for me. Dude, how many years have I been saying we have made worship since about the 1970s? We have made worship. Now, you understand, that's 50 years. That's half of a century. We have made worship consumer-oriented. 
Like we'll sing the songs that you want. We'll, we'll preach what you want. We'll put groups out that you want. We'll develop ministries that you want because we're attractional. We want you to come. In our, in our culture, if you do not have an attractional model of church to get people to come here, like I'm, I'm a, that, that's a terrible model for me because I'm not a salesman. I'm not a salesman. I can't, all I know, if the product doesn't sell itself, I can't sell this. I used to be a salesman and I was horrible at it. And I would tell my boss, I can't lie to people. He's like, dude, you need to close that sale. And I'm like, I can't, I cannot lie to people. I cannot say something about this product that is not true. So if, if I look at this and I'm like, man, this is really good feature right here. I can talk to you about that with integrity. If I hear you talking about like you have a need or whatever, and I'm like, hey, I can show you this. I can do that with integrity because you have a need or a possible need. And I'm like, dude, Jesus is the best product, so to speak, ever. Like, man, you get everything with no investment, the only thing you have to give is buy-in of yourself. And once you do that, then, dude, you have so much blessing. And, yes, there are things that come with maturity. And, yes, there are things, even in a business, like you don't own the business. You're getting paid from the business. But that business still requires you to show up on time, to dress in our uniform, to, you know, there are certain things. But going back to this, why have so many people left the church? It's because we are in this place in our culture where everything is so consumer-oriented and everybody is, what's in it for me? Self-surface, like, you know, it's all about me. Servanthood has literally gone out the window. Listen, man... Don't talk to me about you can't get good help in the restaurant. Has anybody noticed that you cannot find, like, I went to a restaurant the other day. It's McDonald's, but I went to a restaurant the other day, and I'm like, I go in, and I'm like, literally, there is nobody there to help you. And I was trying to figure out the screen. How old does this make me sound? I'm over there going, I just want two burritos. And I swear, there were no burritos. There were no burritos. I mean, I could have ordered 48 different types of biscuit, but no burritos. And finally, I just went over to the counter. I'm telling you, I'm, I am developing well into old manhood. I go over to the counter, and I'm like, hey! Hey! And some little lady comes out carrying you know, some tater tots or something. And, and she's like, may I help you? I said, I just want two burritos. And she's like, sir, if you, I, I already tried that. I'm like, can, I will give you, put cash in your hand. I will pay extra. Can you just give me two burritos? It's like, you cannot find help. Customer service has gone out the window. But do you know that is, that is in the church as well? Like that's in the church. Like, Serving in the church is at an all-time low. Uh, serving with a good attitude, you know. And I'm telling you, man, I love you guys. I appreciate our team. I appreciate 
you know, you showing up like the lady in the video was saying, every week it takes a lot of volunteers to make this happen. And thank you for serving in all of the different places of, of, of uh, the church. But the reason why so many people have stopped coming is that we've adopted that mindset of it's all about me. What do I get out of it? What's the payback that I receive? And if there's not a whole lot of that, what's the point of this? Dude, the point is Jesus. The point is Jesus. And we're going to wake up one day and now understand if this started happening in 1970s, Bill Hybels, and I forget uh, the name of the church. It's up in Bloomington, Illinois. Willow Creek. When they, when they started all of this, I wonder if they thought it through. When they made the, the seeker-sensitive movement. Like, we're going we're gonna to make this movement. So that 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010, 2020s. Like, dude, we're 50 years into that, and now people are just waking up to it. God forbid that we are at 20, uh, uh, what, 70? Would that be 50 more years? That we are at 2070, and we are, like, making changes then. Because now people are waking up to it. Now people are waking up to, like, yeah, people... They got tired of all of the hype. They got tired of the smoke machines and fog and, you know, all, all. They got tired of all of the, let me give you, you know, three little ways you can improve your marriage today and get on out of here. They got tired of the 50-minute uh, services. Several years ago, a friend of mine, not too, uh, well, actually acquaintance of mine, not too far from here, he's like, Rife, our goal is to get them in and out in 50 minutes. That just makes my heart hurt. I'm like, what are we, McChurch? Like, we're just trying to get you in and out real quick. And I'm like, bro, I'm telling you, if I was a Joe Church person, it ain't worth me getting up. It ain't worth me getting dressed. It ain't worth me getting a shower and shaving to come to something that's going to be, you know, for 50 minutes. That's not, I want to, I, I like... Listen, I want you to dig some word out. I want you to bring a fresh, this Bethel, the house of fresh bread. I want you to bring some bread that we can feast on. I want you to tell me how I can apply that and put this into effect in my life. I don't really care about all the Greek and the background and, you know, different things that talk about, you know, uh, the, the educational, just information of the Bible. I want to know how does that apply to me. And I don't believe that there's any particular account in the Bible that you can't use it to apply to your life today. So let's dive into it. So all that was just introduction, okay? All right. All right. Here's the main idea that I want to share with you. Whoever occupies your heart orients your life. Whoever occupies your heart orients your life. Jeremiah 29. For I know my plans for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future, not harm you. So he's orienting my life. But John 10, 10 goes in and it talks about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
So the enemy has a plan. We talked about that the last time I preached. There's an assignment on your life. God's got an assignment and the enemy has an assignment. That's why you need to know how to fight spiritual battles because you need to cancel that assignment. And I'm not talking about some uh, cheap little uh, spiritual cliche that says, I canceled the assignment, you know. No, I mean, there are ways that you can cancel the assignments that the enemy has on your life, and it's through the Word of God and declarations. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is another, and I'll get into Psalm 37 a little later. But say this with me. Whoever occupies your heart orients your life. So let's look at Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to give you a little bit of context here. So Matthew chapter 12, what's happening? Jesus, he's doing some healing. It's on the Sabbath. That's not allowed. We can't heal on Sunday. That offends God if somebody gets healed. Can't deliver anybody. There's no deliverance ministry on Sunday. You can do deliverance ministry uh, Monday through Friday, or in their case, it would uh, Monday through Saturday. But in their case, it would be uh, Sunday through uh, Friday. But you can't heal. You can't do anything. And Jesus is like, I'm going to do what my daddy said. Like, and he goes and he's healing people. And they're like, they're like uh, well, you're doing that by the power of Satan. And here's a really cool thing about what they said. The Pharisees, the religious leaders who know the law, they are supposed to be the smartest people. They're supposed to be the theologians of the time. They're saying, well, you're casting the devil out or you're healing people by the power of the devil. And Jesus like, do you even hear what you're saying? Do you understand how stupid that sounds? Like, I'm going to cast Satan out by Satan. No. Satan's going to cast in. He's going to build strongholds. He's going to fortify. He's not interested in leaving. He's interested in coming. He's like, so... In one of these instances, he casts a, man, a, a, a demon out of a man. So this is kind of the context of what's happening on this Sabbath day. And dude, the religious folks, they are upset about it. And so Jesus, what he's really trying to do, because I'm going to be talking to you in just a moment about, uh, you know, demonology. But I want you to understand how we got there. What Jesus is really trying to say to the people, the Pharisees, is like, man, y'all should know better than anybody. Come on, church people, you should know better than anybody. I am amazed at people that, that they, they are, have been in church for such a long amount of time, yet there are certain fundamentals that they're, just, they, they're lost with. And I'm like, wow, how is that even possible? How long have you been a Christian? Didn't you grow up in church? How long have you been sound in your faith? That kind of thing. Jesus is saying this to them. And so as he's talking to the Pharisees, he's saying to the Pharisees, like, man, you guys should be the people who understand this the best, but you're actually the people who understand it the least. You should have a relationship with God that... People want to emulate and, and you model what it looks like to be a, a strong spiritual leader, a person of the faith, yet you've got it all wrong. You don't even recognize how spiritual principles work. You don't understand. Like, don't get me wrong. Priests cast 
devils out. Or at least they were supposed to. But if anybody watch, uh, if y'all watch The Chosen at all, remember when uh, Mary was possessed? This very first episodes of season one. Like, dude, the priests didn't know what to do with that. They were scared out of their gourd. These people, they talked a good talk, but they did not live it out. Jesus comes along and he says, it's really sad because you should be pillars. And then he begins to say in verse 43, so he, they just saw him cast out a devil. And so he's fixing to use a metaphor to explain the state of their heart. So listen to me. This is not an in-depth teaching on demonology or casting devils out. He's using what he, y'all just saw as a metaphor for the state of your own heart. And in verse 43, he says, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. And then it says... I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation all right so what he's saying y'all saw me cast that devil out today now i want you to think about this so when an evil spirit goes out he goes out into dry arid desert places when he goes out and he can't find any rest he comes back when he comes back he finds this house with these characteristics and then he goes and he finds seven more spirits more evil than he was so they're stronger than he is. And they come in, take residence, and his state is worse then than it was before. And so he's using this as a parable, kind of like a tongue-in-cheek. Like, you get my drift? Wink, wink. I mean, because Jesus, if you notice, very few times did he ever explain the parables. He just said the parable and it's like, What? And the disciples would even go off and say, listen, I don't want to look like I'm dumb or anything. But what did that mean? What, what the heck did that have to do with anything? That's, that is what went on. And so he's using this to basically say, look, y'all had evil in you and evil came out of you. But evil came back in and that's your state now. And you're worse off now because I am here. You don't even recognize me. All right. So look at this. Look at this. So the evil spirit, it comes back and it, it finds the heart. So you understand the heart, the house is the heart. The house is a person. So we're using multiple metaphors here. The evil come, spirit comes back and he finds the heart. Number one, he finds the heart empty. The heart wasn't hosting anyone. He finds the heart swept clean. So there's noticeable change. There's an appearance of cleanliness. 
So he finds it empty. He finds it clean. And, and look at this. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But understand, Paul is saying, But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. Think about 2023. 20, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, uh, slanderous, without self-control. Oh, I, did I miss a line? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Uh, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swo uh, swollen with conceit, puffed up, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Denying its power. So they're having an appearance of godliness. So when the enemy comes back and he looks, it's like, it's clean. There's some change. It looks clean to me. It looks good to me. There's an appearance. Paul is saying, hey, don't have anything to do with those people. Don't have anything to do with those people. Dude, in our church day and age, so many people in the church don't know a holistic scripture. Pay attention to me right here. They don't know a holistic scripture so that they will say things that in eisegesis or isolation, you pull that one scripture out or maybe two or three verses, that actually is true and it has a different meaning than if you read it in context. And so you have doctrines of demons. If you read the book of Galatians, Paul says to the uh, Galatians, he says, Oh, believers at Galatia, who has... Who has, who has uh, bewitched you? Thank you. Who has tricked you? Who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? With doctrines of demons. You understand doctrines of demons are not um, satanic doctrines. They're actually religious doctrines twisted to pervert the gospel. So it's truth twisted to set up a, a, a heresy in the body of Christ. And so we have so many heresies in the church today. Well, we're just supposed to be love to people. Well, that's true. But you speak the truth in love. Oh, we can't speak the truth. We can't tell them that they there are only two genders. We can't tell them that, like, we can't. You can't say anything like that. You're a bigot. You know, you're a misogynist. You know, and it's like what has happened is these doctrines of demons have invaded the church that some of our very own children are now bewitched and believe those doctrines of demons. So what happens is we don't, when we don't know the full counsel of God, we know bits and pieces, and it begins to be twisted. And so Paul says, avoid those people. 
avoid people with this list. It's not that you shun them. It's not that you treat them bad. It's not that you, it's like you got to be careful that those people are not your closest friends. Those people are not the one that you try to seek godly counsel because you ain't going to get it from them. It's like you avoid those people when it comes to close relationship. It's not that you avoid them and not have any relationship. We have to be in the world, but not of that world. We have to go to schools that they're trying to teach all of these doctrines of demons to our children. We have to go to those places and work at those places. But it doesn't mean that we embrace those doctrines. So we're light to darkness. That's what, what's happening. So this enemy comes back. He finds it empty. He finds it clean. And he finds it set in order. So, so there's this sense of completion or satisfaction. This is dangerous. So it's set in order. This sense of completion like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I, I'm telling you, man, I deal with that, this in this house, in this house. Like, I, I'm good. Like, I don't need to be a part of a small group. I'm good. I'm good. And then they are filing for bankruptcy. And then it's like, yeah, we had some small groups on that. We had some groups that taught you how to manage your finances and do it the biblical way. Or it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with these kids. I don't know. They're about to drive me up the wall. Mm. Yeah, we have groups for that. Like, you, you understand. It's like there are, there's, there's this com sense of completion. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good kind of where I'm at. I'm good where I'm at. And it's like, hey, I'm telling you, when I talk about worship in this house, I have literally had people, I'm telling you, I don't need anybody to tell me because I have people that surround me that I use for godly counsel, people that will tell me to, to my face when I am wrong. I don't need this people in this house to tell me uh, that like I don't have a well-rounded teaching of worship. I do. I know I do. I have a well-rounded worship life. I know, I, I understand the importance of worship. I biblically know so many ways that the scripture tells us. I've taught our church this. And I've literally had people to tell me that I've tried to manipulate the church to get them to worship how I wanted them to worship. Do you know how I want you to worship? Do you... I want you to just go find some ways. Just look in here. Just look in here. Praise, thanksgiving, monetarily, serving, loving, pray. Like there's so many ways to worship. There's so many ways to worship. And then, then when life begins to fall apart and it's like, it's hard for me to explain to them how your world is like this. You've been in the faith for so long, but you are like these Pharisees. Ooh, 
Pastor Rife, did you really say? Yeah, I did. You're like the Pharisees. Like, you come to church, you give, you do all your acts of righteousness. But as Amos says, I believe in chapter 4, with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Your heart, the thing we're talking about, your heart is far from me. Put away all that other stuff and get the heart right first. It's like, I'm telling you, you can like it. You can be one of those people who go out and do whatever in the world, some of those millions who have left. But I'm telling you, when we come in this room, this is a room of engagement. This is a room of participation, not spectatorship. It's a room where it's like, I'm sorry, there's so many different ways to worship. How are you worshiping? How are you worshiping? If you are sitting there and this is where people don't like it, and I've been told you're trying to manipulate people. No, I am trying to tell you what the word says, my friend. Don't put your ignorance on me. Don't put your lack of knowledge of the word on me. But if you come into this room and, that you, and, and you are not engaging in some way. I had an 80-year-old woman that told me one time, Pastor Rife, just don't, I just don't want you to think that I'm not worshiping. She said, I'm worshiping. And she said, I'm jumping up and down in my, in, in, inside. But my little 80-year-old bones won't do what y'all young folks do. But she, and this is when I was a youth pastor. And, and, and I'm telling you what, man, that just blessed my heart. But I would, I, I would see her and she'd have her little, she'd be sitting about right there. Uh, and, and she'd put her little hands up. And, and you could tell when the Holy Ghost really got on her, you could really tell because this one would, this, this, this one would start going crazy. But, but it's, 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 it's about like worship is an expression. It's, an out, it's, it's almost like baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism shows the world what's happened inside of you. Worship is not all of this. It's really what's here. And it flows out of that. And worship is an indicator of my intimacy with God. It's an indicator of how close me and God are. I used to have a friend in college. He's still a friend of mine, but we went to uh, Bible school together. And uh, he, would, he had this little saying, and he's like, he's like man, me and, me and Jesus, we like this. <laughs> and that was his little thing. He's like, you know me. He's like, me and Jesus, we like this. That's how every one of us should be. Me and Jesus, we like this. We are so close. I'm telling you, I've gone through all these stages in my life. When I kneel down and I'm just, I'm, I'm just like, oh my God. A few years ago, I curled up, I kid you not, outside in front of this church. I shared a little bit about this. With, I found out a situation in my family, my personal family. It's the worst. It was the worst. And I know how the prophet uh, Elijah felt underneath that tree. He's like, God, kill me now. This is too much. And I parked in front of this church and I'm in my van. Thank you, Jesus. Nobody came up and said, Pastor Rife, knock, knock, knock. You know, because I didn't need that that day. And I was literally in the fetal position. A grown man. Let me show you what it looks like. (laughs) It looks like this. It looks like this. 
And I'm just I'm crying out to the Lord because it was so, so painful. And I'm like, God, I need you now. How I need you now. And I didn't feel his presence. I, I wish I could tell you that in the fetal position that I felt Holy Spirit come down and caress me and go, oh, it's okay, baby, it's okay. I didn't feel any of that. But can I tell you that I have matured enough in my faith? I'm not saying I could have done that 30 years ago, but I'm 30 years in. I matured enough in my faith to go, I didn't feel you, but I know you love me. I don't know what's going on, but I know you love me. I know that you're working all things for my good. I know that even when I don't see it, I still believe it. I know that you are here for me, God, because of my closeness with the Lord. See, I don't need Shay to tell me, even though she does it every day, multiple times a day, she tells me that she loves me. I don't need that. She probably needs that more than I do. But I'm like, I'm good. I love you too, babe. Like, for me, I know she loves me. I don't need you to say it to me over and over. Why? Because of our closeness. There are so many ways that she shows me that she loves me, and it's not verbal. It's a physical thing, or it's a, a gift, or it's something. You know, it could be any number of things. Because me and Jesus, we're like this. And me and Shay... We're like this. It's the intimacy. It's the, it's the relationship with each other. Let me share with you. So the evil spirit found the heart empty, clean, and set in order. Melissa, just go ahead and come on up. And we'll close out. So if the enemy comes and he finds our heart in that order, let me show you how this is really supposed to be. All right. So here's three characteristics of our heart. Number one. Our heart is designed to be filled, not empty. Listen to me. This is important. If you've zoned out, zone back in. All right? So our heart is designed to be filled. This is why Jesus was telling this story to the Jews. Because they had gotten rid of all the evil. They've gotten so many laws. I think it was, I can't remember if it's 316 or 216. 612, 18, whatever. It's a bunch load of them, a bunch. You know? So look, they've gotten all that. But what he's saying, your heart's still empty. Your heart's still empty. Our heart, when we get saved, a lot of times what happens is we go and we're like, okay. I want Jesus to come into my heart, all right? I'm getting rid of the bad, receiving Jesus. Look at these verses of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 and 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so we must honor God with our bodies. Look at this verse. Matthew 6, 
uh, 24 says, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Listen, can I just tell you, when you come to Christ, like you're asking Holy Spirit to come live inside of you. That means that as he moves in, somebody else got to move out. There are things that have got to go. And God will give, he's so patient and graceful and he'll let you get those things out. But you, that stuff has to go at some point. Look at this scripture. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. Like, so what's happening is when the enemy comes back and it's empty, what's happened? They've not filled their heart with anything. Can I tell you how many Christians are like this? It's like, hey, I accept you as my Savior, but they really don't invite the Lord to move in. They don't invite the Lord to move into their life. It's like, we just want to date Jesus. I don't want to marry you. I don't want to be the bride of Christ. Like, we're just going to date each other. All right? And so, our hearts are made to be filled because God created us for community with Him. Look at this. Our hearts are designed to be holy. Our hearts are designed to be holy. The verse of scripture that I want to show you is 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 that says, But now you must be holy in everything you do. Whoa. Can we rip that one out? Because it's impossible. It's not impossible. The scripture says you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you, who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but you're being perfected in him. It doesn't mean when you get saved, everything's going to be, you know, everything crossed and dotted. It means that you're growing. You're being sanctified. Church family, can I tell you, if you are where you have been five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, 15 years ago, God forbid if you are 30 years into it and you're where you're still struggling. I don't mean that temptations are this, that, or the other. But I'm, I'm like, man, if it's, if it's still alive and well in you after all that time, some, you, you got to deal with that. You got to deal with unholiness in your life. Our heart, our body, our spirit, our mind is designed to be holy. Look at this. First, uh, the, the third thing is our heart uh, is that should be designed with a purpose. Our heart is designed with a purpose. Like you have a purpose. God created you with a purpose. This scripture, Psalm 37, 23 and 24 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly or righteous. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, that means when we screw it up, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Man, I take so much comfort in this. Anybody fallen lately or, or, or stumbled? Like, like, here's the deal, man. When the scripture talks about when the righteous man stumbles or when the righteous man falls, like, it's one thing for you to fall, trip, and boom, boom, I'm down, man. And to lay there. 
But that's not what the word says. It says that we will never fall. And it says, though a righteous man stumble or fall, he gets up seven times. Seven, that completion. Like he gets up seven times. He gets up seven times. Why seven? It's a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. In other words, after you've fallen so many times, there's, there comes a time where it's like, hey, that's not a mistake. It's a habit. Hey, your temper that you fly off the handle and you, you know, cuss your husband out or wife out or coworkers out. My friend, you didn't screw up that day because you do that all the time. That's, that's a habit. You understand? So it's like our hearts designed with this purpose and that purpose, God directs us. What is your, sure, we all have a purpose to glorify God. We all have a purpose to, you know, have these generic calls on our life. But there is a divine call on your life for whatever it is that you have. And that's setting it in order. Are you ordering things in your world? I'm just waiting for my ship to come in. I'm just waiting for my opportunity. Listen, you might be waiting a long time. What are you doing in the middle of that? Have you done anything? This morning we were talking about lists in our volunteer rally. Uh, Our family is a list family. Our little kids, when they were little, they would... Uh, their little lists were so cute. We'd find little post-it notes in their bathroom before we were going on a trip or something. And Noah or Savannah, it, they're number one on their list, wake up. Number two, brush my teeth. Number three, get my snacks. They're setting things in order. They're going to have a successful vacation. They're going to have a successful trip. Dude, we... In my family, we are just list people because it's about setting things in order, beginning with the end in mind. It's all about that. And here's what I want you to say this with me. Say this with me. Whoever occupies your heart orients your life. Who is, who's living in your heart? Who's living in your house? Who's, who are you hosting? What are you hosting? And I want you to look at these because here's, here's some things you can take away. All right, how can I apply this? How can I activate this, Pastor Wright? Number one, there's three of them. Consider if any doors might be open in your life to the enemy. I cannot tell you how many people that I talk to that, you know, they've opened doors in their world And it's like, yeah, I don't have a problem with this. Well, you're practicing like white witchcraft. You you are. Like you've got to put that stuff away. You can't go see that psychic anymore. Like you can't go see the psychic. Well, I, I know that's what you guys know. My friend, my friend, my friend, my opinion doesn't matter. This does. Dude. King Saul went and he saw a psychic who was possessed by a familiar spirit, a demon. 
and God punished him for that. Like, are there any doors? Listen, there are so many doors that you could have opened. I'm telling you, there are people that are so bitter and hatred and they are so distrusting because a a parent failed them and they've never forgiven that parent. Or maybe you were sexually abused or raped or maybe uh, you were addicted to pornography or some kind of drugs. Maybe there's all kinds of doors that you could have opened yourself up to. Uh, Maybe you used to uh, practice in uh, another uh, pagan-type religion that had occultic practices. Pastor Rife, people don't do that. Get with it. Man, you can say that if you want to. We've had some in this church in the last month or so. Like, don't tell me. I know my business. Do you go to a doctor that is a quack that does not know how to treat patients or have any kind of medical uh, ability You don't, or you find another doctor. I'm just telling you, I know my business. I know this. Consider if there are any doors that you may have opened to the enemy. Well, you were hurt really bad by somebody. It wasn't even your fault. Doesn't matter how you handled that situation. You could have opened the door, and now bitterness lives inside of you. If there are areas, I'm telling you, this is important. This is important. This will affect your marriage. This will affect worship. It'll, let me go back to your marriage. This will affect your marriage. There will be things that will have happened, doors that you will have opened in the past. That I'm telling you, in my life with my wife, uh, you know, because I'm always using us as an example. I try, I do fail occasionally, but I try to be very tactful. But there were things in our lives. She had things and I had things that we were affected by in our uh, early childhood and, and what have you. And we didn't know, but we partnered with some spirits. We didn't even know we were doing it. You can partner with a mindset with the spirit. I've shared some of those with you so that like whenever I partnered with that spirit when I was six years of, uh, of age, that orphan spirit that said, nobody, you can't trust anybody. You're going to have to take care of yourself. You're on your own. You're all alone. Nobody really cares for you. Then that affects my relationship with my wife. That affects my trust level, all these different things and vice versa. And so it'll affect so many different areas of your life. If you go back and you search for these things, two things that you need to do. You need to repent. Father, I repent for, uh, for partnering with that spirit, for being bitter, for being vengeful, for being passive aggressive, for being all these things. And then you renounce it. I do not want that to be a part of my life. I will not allow that to be a part of my life. And I will take charge and responsibility for me. And I will change the way I talk. I will change this particular activity. I'm not going to look at pornography anymore. And just to make sure, I'm going to go have this discussion with my wife and tell her so that now there's an accountability. Pastor Rife, are you kidding me? Listen, I had... Man, I hope y'all are getting this because this is so good. I'm telling you real life accounts. These are not made up individuals. I had a man that went and confessed to his wife 
that he had a a pornography issue. Do you know what she did? She cut him off sexually. She, She locked up shop. She's like, if you're looking at other women, you ain't getting none of this. Locked down shop. Shunned him in every single way. Emasculated him and would not have anything to do with him, not show him any respect. Hey, can I just say to you, woman of God, if your husband comes to you and shares something like that with you, you need to have the compassion of Christ. If you don't forgive, then you won't be forgiven. Like, the same way if there's something that a wife has to a husband or, you know, whatever. But set up an accountability. I mean, if you mean business, or you can just live in that. You can live in that dysfunction. And can I tell you too many people are living that out? That's why they're not here. Because they don't understand living it out is actually what we talk about in this room and in small groups. We go out of here and we do that stuff. If you don't do that, this gathering doesn't do you any good. So going to the beach or getting on the travel ball team or just laying on the couch and watching Netflix and eating, you know, M&Ms or something, it does you better than being here. But when we're here, we're here to grow and to mature in the faith. Can I just say one more thing, and I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to get to number three. A lot of times we'll say, um, understand this. There's a difference between a baby Christian and an immature Christian. They're not the same. A baby Christian, that's not a de- derogatory. We say that, and I don't know if it's the best term. That's just a term that I heard growing up. So I'll just go back to Chris because I love you, and you know we got that relationship. I think I can Man, three years, three years, 30 plus years, three years, you're a baby Christian. But it doesn't mean you're immature. I'm telling you, I've I've met some people who are in the faith for 25, 30 years. They're immature. They've not matured in the faith. And Paul speaks about that in Corinthians. And he's like, bro, you guys have been in the faith so long. You should be so much further in your relationship with this. So look, number three is this. Uh, oh, wow. I, sorry. All right. Accept Jesus as your Savior and then make him your Lord. Accepting Jesus as your Savior is almost like that empty house the enemy went back to. You got to let him move in. Like, I'm telling you, we have church when I preach things like this, people think it's heresy because they have been fed such a malnourished pulpit for so long. Come down. Let's pray the sinner's prayer. Repeat after me. Nowhere in Scripture is that in the Bible. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Most of the time, if you get up and walk down to the front, listen, you really are already saved. What I mean by that, Holy Spirit was working on you at your seat, moved upon your heart, and somehow you made a decision to come forward. Oh, you already saved. We're just making it public now. 
because you've already made the commitment that you want change in your life. Accepting Jesus is more than just, you know, Father, forgive me for my sins. A lot of times that's regret. And you're just walking through this spiritual thing. Being saved is truly this. You accept Jesus as Savior, but you make him Lord. Like Jesus, a lot of times people will say, well, he's my Lord. Is he? Like, do you consult him on everything? Making him Lord of your life. There is a difference. And then the last thing is get involved in regular spiritual community. Like, if you want to grow, if you want to increase, this whole exodus um, that has been happening in the church all these years, people are caught off guard. And listen, I, I, I'm, I'm wrapping up. But you come one time a week. I'm not apologizing. I'm just helping us. People are so caught off guard by this mass exodus. But scripture, if we know the scripture, scripture already told us it was coming. It says in the last days, there will be a great falling away. People will turn their ears to these false doctrines. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me how I can be a great leader. Tell me how I can, you know, be a better. Tell me all these, you know, build, build me up. I was reading in one of my forums that I followed for several pastors uh, last night, and they said, man, I just realized, and I'm like, dude, we realized this so many years ago. He said, I just realized all of the songs that we are singing and that are the most popular songs are all self-indulgent. They're all about me. When you go back and you think about it, it's like many years for those of you who have been on our worship ministry and things, and I'm like, guys, we have got to sing some songs about Jesus and his attributes and his victories and how you know uh, and his glory and that you are worthy and it's like we this this really the snowflake uh stuff not trying to get in in political but that invaded the church and it's like oh I'm wounded and I'm like dude everybody's wounded everybody's wounded I'm wounded but I'm a son, I'm a son, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. My God, yes you are, stop being so wimpy and grow up. Like, that's, that's for somebody who's just getting in the faith. But these people that have, that have been in the faith for so long and they're like, you know, um, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Oh, I know it makes people's religious demons mad when I do stuff like this. But I'm like, you're singing it, but you are one of the most spiritually superstitious people that I know. You are a slave to fear. Stop singing lies. And it's not about you. 
If you will just do the word and live the word out, you will not be where you were four years, five years, six years, or three months ago. You will have increased some. You will be bearing fruit some. So getting involved in a spiritual community is going to help you grow. Regularly grow. Find you a church. Some, man, I'm trying to stop, y'all. I'm just going to say it and y'all can get mad if you want. Some crazy lady posted on our Facebook page. And, uh, you know, we just take that mess down. Like, she posted on our church Facebook page. (laughs) Oh, it's hilarious. She said, uh, I might go again. (laughs) Well, thank you. And the preacher was pretty good. It's getting better. But there was some annoying guy. I think it was Drew myself. There was some annoying guy sitting at the back. So anybody, the, first, the last four rows is one of y'all. Yeah. But listen, you know what I felt for her? I'm like, ma'am, you don't get the concept of community. She said uh, about the crazy guy. So, Drew, I'm just giving you the message we deleted. Uh, She said, well, to each his own. But you can also choose where you worship to. And I'm like, that is so true. And there's one on every street corner. So take your pick. But it really is about wherever you worship, is that place a place that is going to honor God and is going to draw you deeper? I've said this so many times. At Destiny, you will grow or you will go. Like, if you come here, man, you will grow. You will be discipled. But if you do not want that, this will not be a place where you will, it just won't be. It just won't be. Because we're not a mega church. You can't sneak in and you can't sneak out. Somebody's going to catch you. Somebody's going to want to know where you're from. And, oh, girl, I work there. And, you know, you're going to get that. Why? Because it's more familial. It's more community. But I promise you, you will grow if you want to. Who are you hosting in your heart? We're going to have our prayer team. If anybody wants to pray, I'm going to pray over you. Number two is the most important one on that list, guys. Accept Jesus. Pastor Reif, you're preaching to pretty much a Christianized crowd. Isn't that the truth in all of our churches today? And here's the deal. If you're here, you should be Christianized. Evangelism happens outside the doors. 
that's also, I don't have time and I'm not going to get into it, but that's also a whole nother thing that we've made the church. This is not where you evangelize people. This is where you worship God together as a family and we fill ourselves up to go evangelize. But guys, make him Lord of your life if you haven't already.